The Cannabis and Home Grow Show is sponsored by AeroClean 420 and Aero Home Hobby, the industry leader in air purification in cannabis cultivation. Visit AeroClean420.com and PreventPowderyMildew.com to learn more about their cutting-edge technology that has proven effective across commercial grows for over seven years. You won't regret it. is California's leading cannabis nursery, offering over 100 plus varieties of premium genetics. From new strains to classics and exotics, there's something for everyone. Home growers and farmers can learn more at darkheartnursery.com. Greetings, cannabis community. I'm Mark Eden. This is the Cannabis and Home Grow Show. Today's guest is James Durier out of San Francisco. He's not ashamed to let people know he's been selling weed since he was 15. And today he's in the licensed cannabis industry in California. He's got stories to tell. He's got all kinds of interesting backstories to tell. And James, uh, how you doing today, man? Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Man, I got really interested in your work just by reading what you write on LinkedIn, whether it's your posts or comments. And I was like, oh, I really like what this guy's talking about. So tell me about uh, your cannabis business. Well, I am the co-founder and CEO of BMG Cannabis Company. Right now, we platform brands uh, in the California cannabis space. Right now, we're platforming Grandiflora. Soon, we're going to be platforming Party Time Farms. Uh, so people can access those brands through our website at uh, bmgelite.com. Now, when did you start this business? Well, we've been cooking the brand up for a couple of years now. And we launched it in February, February 3rd of 2021. But it went officially live public facing in 2020. But we took our time getting the right drop, in this case, working with Grandiflora uh, and putting our signature series jar set together with the Red Velvet and the Hectane genetic offerings that they provide. And uh, the market's been quite happy with it, and I've been quite happy with it. And to be honest with you, it's the only thing I've smoked since we've launched, and I'm still enjoying it. And so that says a lot. You know, other than weed that's gifted to me, the only thing that I've actually spent my money on is my own weed. And that's pretty satisfying. <laughs> Do you grow your own weed? I actually, because of you, I actually went and bought some 10 gallon plant potting soil, the whole kick, went and bought some genetics from a licensed legal dispensary in the city at California Cannabis. Went and got some after dark seedlings uh, because Eric Rosen on LinkedIn uh, had posted about them. And when I went to California Cannabis, they said that seedlings would do better outside than uh, a cutting cool. would. So, yeah, you inspired me with your uh, showing your homegrown on LinkedIn. I was like, you know what? I, I did it last year and I don't really like to run lights because that's a lot of you got to really pay attention to a room. But I felt like if I can do some set and forget on the porch and just water them when they need it. That's about my speed, you know, so that's and what... you're you have like a, a, a marketing background. So it's kind I of do makes sense that you're in into marketing cannabis. What's your yeah. marketing background? Well, I graduated University of San Francisco uh, in 2006 with a degree in business marketing. Uh, but before that, I was making music under the name Mr. Three, which is where I actually met Burner. 
of Cookies fame. Uh, I've known him since he was 18. So we came up making music together. That's how he and I initially met. And then I honestly tell people I retired from music to become a full-time cannabis dealer. You know, that's, that was my segue because, you know, we're talking 2004, 2005 and the price of OG Kush in San Francisco was trading at anywhere between 52 and 56 in town, which meant that out of town price when it was shipped out of state would be about roughly double that. Oh my God. Just to give you a sense of what the California cannabis marketplace was like 15 or 16 years ago. So, so lucrative and I mean, it was to the point where you and well, it was great. It was a gray area because, you know, if you got a doctor to say you could grow X amount of plants or you could get a collective. So it was there was so much more gray area because of Prop 215. So the, while the shipping out was illegal, the cultivation, the trading, all of those things, you know, you're playing in the gray area, which is what how a lot of people in California have gotten extremely rich is playing in the gray area. Uh, all those loopholes and all those things have been completely tightened up into Prop 64. For better or for worse, the industry is what the industry is. But it, it was exceedingly the Wild West in the Prop 215 days, especially uh, at the later stages where there was doctors who, could, who were re- recommending people could have up to 500, 600 plants because the federal limit is 999. Anything under that is a state. It's a state issue. So it, it, it really was a really wild and crazy time. But think about this. You could come into where, where my co-founder and I first met, the Hemp Center on Geary Street, which is now, I think, Harvest, but I'm not sure. I, I don't go down Geary Street that often. Uh, that's where you know, an illustrious class of the who's who of the now famous cannabis industry all first assembled and kind of, you know, all got to know each other because it was one of the few consumption lounges in San Francisco that, you know, sold on site, you could smoke on site. So people would just, I would come after school or college at USF, walk down, just go hang out, smoke, because I had known Gil from making music and Gil was one of the bud tenders there or burner or whatever. I'll call him Gil because that's how I know him. Um, And it was, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of people to this day from there. Uh, Actually, Matt Adams, the person who's truly responsible for Sunset Sherbert ever being created, because if Matt never introduced Mario to Jai, that relationship would have never happened. And now Matt's growing legally, I believe, in New Mexico. So it's like, that's the cool thing is all these people who were all friends because we all just loved weed and the, the Hemp Center was a place where you could smoke and it had the best weed on the shelves because you know back then you could come in with a backpack sell your if they said it was good they bought your weed that was just how the the industry went they weren't checking paperwork if you had any it was just completely different time uh you know now we have the metric system that's tracking plants and all these other things that didn't happen you know it, it was it was truly, you know, and I, when I grew weed, I grew weed with Mr. Stravinsky as my partner. Both times they were, you know, legitimate grows in most respects. We would have medical paperwork. Uh, but the time that I got caught growing with Mr. Stravinsky by the SFPD was because I was on felony probation for shipping cannabis out of state. How which did that, that happen? happened to, okay, well, that's a great story. <laughs> that sounds great. Or okay, not great. So, so how I did five years felony probation, start scene, is how the movie would start, really. Um, so, you know, how I got into selling weed was, honestly, I just wanted to smoke for free. So, you know, you start selling weed at 15 because you're smoking. And somebody says, oh, you know, you got some weed. And you don't really think of it, oh, I'm selling weed. You're like, no, well, 
if I sell you this 20 stack out of my eighth, now my eighth that cost me 55 now cost me 30. It's just good business to sell you a 20 sack. So, you, you know, you're a 15 year old kid. It, you, it took you however long it took you to procure this sack. It wasn't, this is, remember, this, there's no cannabis dispensaries. It's fully illegal. I'm you have, you. you I'm really have to know somebody. This is you. 1993. You really have to know somebody. In 1993, you had to have relationships established to get cannabis. This was not like I got, I first smoked, I, I can tell you the first time I smoked weed is the night that Wayne's World 2 came out. I smoked weed in the attic of my old house on Washington Street in San Francisco, my buddy Chris Johns, and we had been buying weed because we were going to tell a friend of ours that we were selling weed as a joke. And I think it, Chris was just getting me to buy weed because he wanted to smoke weed because Chris had never smoked weed. And I was like, and I knew somebody at school named Paul who was selling weed. This is all going on at SI, you know, St. Ignatius College Prep, San Francisco, California in the 90s. You know, I think Paul ended up getting kicked out of the school for selling weed. I don't remember. It was a wild time. I do remember buying sacks from him uh, because I was a DJ. I would DJ the lunch hour for, for our school. I would go set up a, a plug in my boombox and play music over the PA system. And I did my first drug deal from buying weed from, I think, I forget what Paul's last name was, but that was like the first time I bought weed from somebody. I bought him weed from SAI, smoked it, and went and saw Wayne's World too. So that's the first time I ever smoked weed. And you, that's what I'm saying is you had to know somebody or it wasn't, it wasn't nothing like the world today. You know, and, and so you had to cultivate relationships, which is why the whole cannabis industry thrived and why if, if you had a falling out with somebody, it, it hurt doubly because it wasn't just business. It was friendship. It was pre people you spent time and experiences with laughs and, you know, pain and experiences. Like I remember when Gil lost his mom and I lost my father in 94. So I was really well equipped to help him be like, you know, talk him through that. And I remember we were at a showgirl strip club on Broadway. I was dating a dancer and he was, you know, obviously just hanging out in a strip club because he was still in the music industry and I was doing hemp 2 at the time. And he and I discussed that, but more we discussed how he was taking the money that he got from his settlement uh, from Kaiser and the wrongful death of his mother and how they misdiagnosed her and was going to put that into his clothing cookies. So he took the money from his settlement and put that into cookies. So it's a really cool story of how Gil took, you know, the money that his that the, the and this anguish that, you know, if you follow Gil, it still upsets him losing his mom wrongly, because if you, you know, hear him tell it, Kaiser misdiagnosed him and he sh she should still be here. So he took that money and, and turned it into an empire with his clothing company. I'm really proud of that guy. You know, I'm really proud of the work that he's done in the industry. He's really set a name for himself. And, and I'm, it's kind of a cool thing to know, you know, that somebody you've known since you were 18 and we were a part of things in Hemp2O together. And it's just cool to see what he's done. And it's, it inspires me to set the same mark with my target audience, which is separate than his. So I don't feel like I'm really competing with him in any way, shape or form. You know, like his brand is his, my brand is mine. And I love what he does. I think he's going to love what we do, but it's separate from what he does. And, and that's what's so cool about cannabis is there's so many, so much space and room for brands to speak to their target market and people that they want to enjoy their product, you know, that, that they're bringing to market, you know. Let's talk more about your platform. Okay, so we take what we consider the best that we can find and then we set up uh, supply chains for people to access it in certain regions. Flowers? The yes, flower? right now, right now we're focusing on flour. I feel like, I feel like in cannabis, people get really excited by profit margins, and they know that, you know, the more stuff we feature, the more it's just to increase our revenue. 
And one of the things I'll always stress is, you know, BMG is really about the culture. Like we want, when you see our logo, when you see our brand, it's going to be the best. We're going to take our time. I'd rather not have anything on the website at all than just put something up to make money because that's not, that's not what I aspire to have on the shelf. I want it to be the best that we can find or nothing at all. Um, one of the brands that I love in, in clothing is called Chrome Hearts. And it's recently just gotten really popular, but I've been wearing it for like 10 or 15 years. And if you go into their store in Robertson, it has a thing on the bottom that says, fuck you. And it's a really good litmus test because if you get what they're saying by saying, fuck you, it, then you'll love their brand. But it, it, there's some people who probably see that and they're like, I, how dare would you say fuck you to a customer? And it's, they're really, what they're saying is, Hey, this brand is, ours it's unique you you're not if you don't like it we don't care we're doing our own thing and it's gotten them uh, a lot of really high end customers now because like drake rihanna have kind of caught a hold of if you just focus on what you're doing and you love it and you don't really care about how it's received because you know you're doing your best that the the attention, the accolades and more importantly the financial reward of the win of making something that resonates comes along that's what Gil did. Gil, when he built cookies, he, he knew eventually what he was doing was going to set hold his target market. And the, he, the fact that he was still making music just amplified that, that, that target market and speaking to that target market. And he's done a really good job of creating a base and speaking and catering to his base. And in a marketing perspective, I'm really proud of the work he's done because I was all throughout the time I was at USF, I was telling him, Hey, we got to do this. We got to do that. And then we worked together in hem 2 uh, you know, I'm really proud of what they did at Hem2O. Uh, the issues at Hem2O were my relationship management with the CEO had nothing to do with Gil. And uh, thankfully, we resolved uh, my separation from Hem2O amicably. So, you know, well, through litigation amicably, <laughs> to, be, to be clear for the record. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I still... I still love and respect all the things that Gil has done and will do. And I look forward once my brand has reached a certain level to us uh, meeting up and reconnecting. You know, I, I am quite proud of what he's done. I've known him since his da first daughter was born. Uh, you know, I've known the kids since he was 18 selling coffee at Carlin Cole. And it's actually interesting. If you come to the Bay Area, we have a very, uh, very well-known vegan restaurant called Vegan Mob. That's run by Toriano Gordon. And Tori is one of the main reasons that both Gil and I have a rap career. Uh, Tori, uh, who went on, who before he was a restaurateur, made music under the name Don Toriano and performed in the group called Fully Loaded that was uh, put together by San Quinn, who's a very well-known and local rapper up here. And if it wasn't for Toriano, neither Gil nor I would have any of the success that we would have had in the music industry. Because... Make no mistake, the music industry in the mid-2000s was a largely a great way to both invest your cannabis dealing money and wash your cannabis dealing money, uh, you know, because you could, you know, put an album out, say you sold X amount of albums, but they don't even have to sell. Now you're washing your money legitimately. And I, I can't tell you how many Bay Area artists probably still to this day are operating under that way. But I'm not going to sit here and dry snitch on anybody and tell anybody's business. But that's what we were doing. And that's how we got down. And it wouldn't surprise me if something like that was still going on is something I'm very comfortable saying. 
but yeah, that was that was the industry back then. Is we all made music, and half the people were making music just to cover up, you know, making the money they were making in cannabis. Uh, I actually got out of making music to focus on selling cannabis, you know, because <laughs> the money was so good in cannabis. Uh, because I, I think I might have mentioned in our pre-interview that the margin in California, like I said, in 2004, cannabis was trading at 56 to $5,200 in the city, meaning that it was trading out of state at uh, roughly double that. So how I got the case is exploiting those margins. <laughs> so, you know, you go from selling your first 20 sack when you're in high school, whatever, whatever, and things just kind of scale from there. And I swear that this... I never wanted this. This chose me that I just happened to know the right people at the right place at the right time. And people asked me, people would ask me to buy a pound. And I was like, yeah, I know where to get a pound because I had a very close friend who's now opening his own dispensary, uh, who was one of the major plugs and one of the major San Francisco dealers who I also happened to know from high school. And I just happened to be able to hook up large amounts of weed for people. And I, I was basically the person you, if you needed to buy 50 pounds, I was the guy you needed to know because I had multiple people for years I could buy 50 pounds from for years. Like I can't, I can't tell you, I can tell you when I got my case in 2009, it was for shipping pounds out to Chicago. And I was making, I was making small deals, but I was making $700 to $1,000 per pound. So it didn't matter the volume because the margins were so high on that customer. How did you get busted? Well, it's funny. I sent a package. So you're sending packages out. And this is back when DHS was shipping domestically and not checking their packages. So you could put anything in the DHS package. But DHS stopped shipping domestically. So when DHS stopped shipping domestically, it meant you had to start shipping through UPS, FedEx, anything. But we all know that they checked. So one day, it's in December, I put a box together to ship out, I think, three pounds. And, you know, I'm going, I'm just kind of shoving in these boxes, but I had been cheap and I bought a cheap box. And sure enough, that cheap box cost me that relation, caught me, cost me that time is because that package gets caught. They send the bust to the house. That person flips on the person I was shipping out to. The person I'm shipping out to sends his second man to do a controlled buy with me in the city of San Francisco. I meet up with him. We pick him up in the car. He's acting funny, but I'm not even paying attention to it. My cousin's driving the car, and we lose our tail just because my cousin's driving like a city driver. And we do a controlled buy. I send the pound out. Law enforcement calls the FedEx, hey, there's a pound of marijuana. It's at, we're going to come pick it up. Somebody at the FedEx steals that pound of marijuana, and I don't get that case. Because I would have had a really bad case if oh they my got God. me. So they, this guy bugs me for months on my drop phone. And the biggest thing that I took away is I should have just dropped my drop phone. That's why they call it a drop phone. Should have got rid of my drop phone. But they hound me for months to send a sample. So finally, I relent. I'm like, sure, I'll send you a sample or whatever. What, what, that's not, there's no case behind a sample. But the sample was enough for them to get a search warrant in the city. So... I was working out with my personal trainer, Matt Tripp, to get in shape to go do jujitsu because that was always something I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to get in a certain level of shape to go do jujitsu, which you don't need to do, which looking back, I should have just gone to jujitsu. So anybody who wants to do jujitsu, you don't need to get in shape to go do jujitsu. To do jujitsu, just go do (laughs) jujitsu. 
Like, sorry, that's a, that was a tongue twister right there. I really had to slow myself yeah. down. Uh, so I was working out with a personal trainer to get in shape to go train martial arts. And I'm walking down Washington Street to turn up Walnut Street. And an undercover car, which I, didn't, I only knew was an undercover once the cop came out and identified himself, pulled up on the curb like a movie. And when I write a book, the first line will be, there's not quite a feeling that anyone will ever have until somebody jumps out with a name and a court date or a court assigned, hey, we're coming in your house. There's not quite a feeling like that, especially when you know that there's drugs and money in your house. In this case, I was holding on to a 10-pack of cannabis that I had transacted, but my buddy had still not come to pick up yet. You got caught. So, I, I mean, oh, I got a snitch. They got a warrant. They searched the house. They have what I like to call the drug dealer trifecta, which is money, guns, and drugs. In this case, the gun happened to be my grandfather's non-servicing 22 from, like, the 40s that just happened to be in my room. And had it not been in my room, I would not have been charged with it. But Oof. because it happened to have been in my room. Yeah, I mean, just this is California law. Anytime there's the and it's the preponderance of a firearm. Doesn't matter if it doesn't work. Doesn't matter if it's a fake gun. The preponderance of a weapon in the commission of a felony is a two year firearm enhancement, which just gives the prosecutor, in this case, Kamala Harris, our now vice president, more leverage to make you take a deal, which my lo- my lawyer, Omar Figueroa, got me one, which was. Six year or six months house arrest, which to my knowledge, and Omar will go on record and say Kamala Harris made sure I did house arrest because she hates weed. Mm. So made sure I did house arrest and uh, three years uh, probation for, you know, for this, and mind, this is my first arrest. I mean, mind you, they had me dead to rights, but this is my first arrest. I mean, you know, you know didn't I could have gotten most people would have probably just gotten the, the probation. They wouldn't have got the house arrest. But the Kamala Harris treatment is, no, you're going to do the house arrest. And so on house arrest, you can only leave the house to go to school or work. So I went I'd already graduated from USF with a degree in marketing. So I enrolled. You can't go city. to the grocery store. Oh, oh, no. They give you uh, a set amount of time per week to go handle stuff they'll like Oof. here's your here's your weekly allotment of time to go execute upon stuff if you have a dog you can get an hour to walk the dog but they so it's like that you have to tell them hey this is my schedule this is the time like now the dog walking they're not it's but you have basically an hour to return back to the house mind you it's with an ankle monitor on yeah 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 so so i mean they got you they got you so it's like <laughs> you have so you have to be real transparent so i go I, I sign up at City College and I take cardio and weights. So I'm going to, I'm literally going to school to work out. So it's like kind of like jail. You know, what can you do? You can work out and then to go out at night, because mind you, I'm like, you know, in my, you know, early 30s, I got a job as a bouncer. So, you know, so I'm going out at night as a bouncer and I'm working out during the day at, at school. And that's how I'm doing six months house arrest. And that's how I did six months house arrest. It was a really kind of a, you know, it was what it was. I got really good at Call of Duty. And I, you know, I got to experience what life is like as a bouncer in, in the state of California, which was, you know, it's just a fun little, you know, fun little story. Ended up becoming friends and smoking weed with Tim Lincecum uh, because I was, you know, in the scene and then went on to, you know, smoke weed with him at the Ambassador Club, which is now, I believe, the Redford Room on Geary Street. And that's, you know, just one of the many cool people I've had the pleasure of smoking weed with over the years, you know. I was actually, it's one of those things that I, when we launch our podcast uh, on our podcast network, which you'll have to come on, uh, where, you know, one of the things is, you know, kind of 
tell the stories of the cool people you smoke weed with. And in my case, it's, you know, people like Joe Rogan and Too Short, the Diaz brothers. Like, it's one of those things because it's weed, you start to forget all the cool people you smoked with because you were stoned. So when did you, you told me you were involved in some podcasting before when, what's up with that? Okay. So after Hemp2O, after Tony and I have a falling out with Hemp2O, I fell into producing a podcast called Punch Drunk Sports with Sam Tripoli, Ari Shafir, and Jason Tebow. And this is, you know, before Sam Tripoli had tinfoil hat and before Ari Shafir had his Netflix uh, hours or his this is not happening on Comedy Central. You know, this is uh, Ari Shafir living at an apartment down the street from the comedy store next to uh, next to like a convenience store. Like, you know, and so it's kind of cool to had, you know, watched history and real-time change in both the podcast era and how cool podcasting has become and cannabis, you know. Uh, and it was cool because, you know, I had the freedom and the luxury because of, you know, the years I had spent selling weed to kind of pursue my passions and, and get a marketing background and things that I enjoyed because, you know, I, I made enough money through selling weed both times that I had been arrested <laughs> you know, the cops never got any, they never got nearly as much money as I had stashed around the house because I'd always been paranoid about cops coming and taking my money. So I always stashed money. You over. don't know paranoid. No, I'm <laughs> well, I'm so paranoid. I wouldn't have ever, ever, ever gotten involved in selling that amount of weed. Like maybe a friend that needs a, a, a dime this, in high this school. Kind of, but you, you, you have to realize the kind pounds. of money, the kind of money that we, that I made, like, I can't even... I, I, it's, it's incalculable also because you, you're spending it as quick as it comes. Like, you know, a, a bad week was $2,000 a week. Like, you know, but this is all like, mind you, this is 10, 15 years ago. Like, you know, it's, it, it's not, it's not even the world that I'm talking about. It exists for some people, but it doesn't exist that. for me. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, like this is, so it's ancient history. 43. <laughs> I'm you're 43. 43. Yeah, I'm 43. And I've been, I've been involved because I love weed. You know, that's the other thing is I got arrested. The, the times I was having these ups, then I got these downs because, you know, you get arrested and they, they get you for court fees. And then I get arrested a second time while uh, felony probation uh, violation for cultivating legally at my house with Mr. Sherbinsky. So it's like, you know, you, you have these ups and then you get these downs. But, you know, the reason I'm doing it is because I'm loving weed the whole time is you don't think about the outcome. You don't think about the law. It's like, dude, I love weed and I love the lifestyle that loving weed provided, you know, because all you had to have. I mean, mind you, when we were, when I was growing and selling Kush with Mr. Sherbinsky in 2011 for the time I got caught on my second case, Kush was trading at thirty five hundred thirty six hundred to the grower. You know, it hadn't depreciated that far in value in 10 years. Now, Kush is I don't even know what it's trading at, but I know everybody's got it. It's one of those things. And that's. That's the whole reason why having genetics is such an important thing and why the Bay Area has been so ahead in terms of genetics is that we've had everyone and their mother fly in here to buy our weed. And what makes your weed better than my weed? It's the genetics and the cultivation standards. But if you have the genetics, that's more than the cultivation standards because the genetics, the bragging rights of who, grew, of who cultivated this, it means the world. Like in our case, our proprietary genetics for BMG are from Powers Up of cookies fame and he's outside of cookies. We're the only team that has white market genetics of his. Now there has been black market leaks of some of his most famous strains, but those aren't 
legitimate. Those aren't, and if they do make it to the white market, that's because they somehow made it out, but they're not vouched for. And that's what makes our genetic offering so special is we're the only team that has prime time in this case, but we have many other genetic offerings coming from both Powers Up and Grandiflora, two of the most sought after geneticists on the planet. And they work with us exclusively in some regards. So it's kind of it's kind of an honor that our brand is, you know, it's sister to cookies in some respects, because the people that we work with work with cookies and have gained a lot of fame from cookies and for cookies. And they work with us because of our co my co-founder, Bernie Gonzalez, and his relationship with them, you know, and it's that's what this business is all about. It's all about relationships and how uh, who, you know, and how they interlay over what you do. You know, like I said earlier, Matt, if it wasn't for Matt Adams, Jai would have never met Mario and the Sunset Sherbert and the Gelato and all those things that came from that would never have happened. And how they met was Matt and his buddy wanted to train Muay Thai. And so they asked me because I was into martial arts, what was the best place to train Muay Thai at? And that was World Team USA at the time on Ocean Boulevard off Unipro Serra in San Francisco. And Mario was training there. And so Matt started coming in smelling like weed. Matt and Mario became friends. Mario gets introduced to Jai through Matt. And now the rest is history. And that's how the Sunset Sherbert was developed is when, when Matt met Mario, Mario was growing Afgu for the vapor room on hate street and that, and making good money doing that. But that was what he was growing. That was the genetics that he had. So, Matt comes over, says, you got to meet Jai. Jai brings over the Girl Scout cookies. Mario's growing the Girl Scout cookies. Unbeknownst to him, Jai comes in with the uh, Hindu Kush, a.k.a. the pink panties, and dusts the room. And from that seed, the entire Sherbinsky line and the Sunset Sherbert came. Now, whether or not the gelato is from that seed, jo- seed drop or they crossed the sunset sherbet back to the og i'm not sure if to hear one people some people tell it it's just from that seed drop that gelato uh the gelato is but some people tell you that they crossed it who would really know and somebody who we will have on our podcast at some point in time is sf flux capacitor on instagram otherwise known as sean or red who i also got to be friends with from the hemp center that gill also worked at and actually Red was Gill's or Burner's first legitimate plug. So Sean would come off the hill and take care of Gill. And that's how Gill had one of his main sources that he sold to people like Mr. Nice, who he and I both sold to. So it's like, that's the thing. And this is all 2004, 2005. So, you know, 15 years ago. Well, like just a whole nother. So 15 years ago, were you talking about terpenes? No, 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 you actually, I was actually, I was because I've always said, if it smells, it sells, but that was always in regards to smell, selling Kush because Kush has a very distinct terpene flavor. So in that regard, mm-hmm. yes, I have always spoke about terps, but it wasn't with the same knowledge because look, the science is out now that the terpene profile matters most to the individual. The, if you smell the plant and the plant speaks to you through its smell, it means that their neurons and the neuroreceptors that are going to be triggered by you smoking that plant are going to be beneficial to you. That's why the entourage effect and, the, and having the ability to smell the terpenes are so important for the customer. And because, and that's one of the things I got to give credit to Gil for is his, he created packaging at cookies where you can smell your cannabis and that, cause he's really aware of how important smell is. And there's a lot of shops, especially under these protocols that we've had, 
that have made it impossible for you to, people to smell their weed before they buy it, which is critical. It's critical that people have that ability. But don't because you think most people these days just looking at percentages THC? Well, you know, I think you're right. And I think that that and it is an indicating factor of what that plant is going to do to the individual. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with people posting on social media and wanting to, you know, flex. For, yeah, to, it's like bigger is better. Yeah. And, and, well, and you know what I think? Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Exactly. And our culture kind of perpetuates that kind of the that the numbers don't lie. So exactly. Exactly. You just you nail it on the head. It's like. People are always hunting for that thing that they feel. And, you know, shout no, out 10% to 15% THC strains because that's what I like. So I hey, can there's, be real functional all day that, long. That's the thing. Not, not everybody wants to be at that, at that level. 30%. And, well, that's the thing. I, I've been smoking since 1993. So I can pretty much function under any THC level. Like I, I actually received somebody who I... Well, I don't I've, think the length of time means that you're well i, I think mean, it affects i think it affects your thc what i'm talking about is how my thc levels have been affected by that duration what i'm saying it's it's and that's one of the reasons why i don't do dabs is i think that dabs really uh affect i don't do dabs either i think they i think taking these like a a bong rip dab it really affects your thc levels in a way that now you're setting that level of what you need to get the effect at a really high level like i think that that's you know, but for some people, they're like, hey, I need the dab gets me where a joint doesn't get. And I'm like, OK, I feel you. But now you're making dab like you, you know, people who smoke dabs, they they could take a joint to the face. And they're like, OK, now when do we do a dab? That joint didn't it doesn't affect them. And that's that's that freaks me out when people are like, yeah, I can smoke joints and they doesn't do anything to me because I smoke joints, but they do something to me. What do you think about this hydro versus soil grown outdoor versus indoor? What's I think they all take? have they, I think they all have pluses and minuses like, you know, they and I think it just everything is personal. And so I think every and that's what makes cannabis so cool is everybody. Ha if you're passionate and you love weed, you're going to have an opinion about it because you have the things that you love about weed. Well, you've smoked a lot of weed. Oh, I've smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. So I, when I, you're smoking soil grown weed, do you think it tastes different than hydro grown weed? I think it, I think it depends a lot on the two things it depends on how those people because i've smoked weed that's grown in salt that if it's properly salt in soil that's properly flushed and i couldn't tell that it wasn't or it wasn't you know clean nutrients because salts salts affect the, the plant receptors the same way that uh, organic nutrients would but they just they res they filter out in a different way to my knowledge i'm not an expert in that but i have talked to growers who are who are now converted to salts because the, the ratios are easier to figure out in the feed that, you know, the, the salt manufacturers have simplified the steps um, for people to feed their plants. So I think as commercial cannabis scales, we're going to see less and less, uh, you know, if it's even grown in soil, like I personally don't enjoy rock wool cannabis. So like, but there's well, a lot of people who don't even put their plants in, so in, in soil. I personally think that if you grow in rock wool you miss out on a lot of the terps that are there the taste so yes i think rock wool if you grow in rock wool if you never transfer your cubes into into a soil medium that you're going to lose something out on the taste now indoor versus outdoor there's clearly structural differences 
I don't know what the difference is in terms of the, the like the levels. There's obviously CO2 differences. I know that the industry in California is trying to perpetuate sun-grown and mixed light because it's cheaper. So a lot of what you're seeing is because they want to reduce costs on, on cultivation. So I'm, I'm a little bit weary on some of the things that people are saying uh, because, and, and the hype in the sun-grown because I, they're trying to do it to increase margin, to increase demand on something that's cheaper to produce. costs more money to produce indoor cannabis. It does. And so what they're doing is they're looking at it from a margin perspective. They're saying, well, we make this much more if we grow it in the sun and we make. So that's the reason why you're seeing a lot of the industry trying to really push the sun grown is because they make more money doing it and it's easier work. So I'm a, there's a reason why there are people to this day running four to eight lights, cranking out some super high end cannabis breaking it down to eights and halves, sometimes ounces. Like there's a guy named Treecast Mation on Instagram and he sells $1,500 ounces because he's a vegan and he feeds veganic living soil. And you can't even buy his weed. Like you can't, if you, you have to know the right people at the right time to get it. But there's some people selling $1,500 ounces on the black market. The white market, it will never compete if it thinks that growing in rock wool a bunch of salts and 100 lights is ever going to make people get excited because that's just average cannabis now and that's one of the nice things at bmg is we're going to once we scale our brand from being a platform to being something that actually does you know cultivation which is when we take on our next round of funding something we plan on doing we're we have some fun things that we're going to be doing in terms of setting higher standards for cultivation because bmg first and foremost is a standard when you see that seal, when you see our logo, you're going to be getting the very best there is to offer. If it's commercial, if it's craft, it's going to be the very best. But we're going to let you know if it's commercial or craft. A lot of these people don't even know the differentiation between craft cannabis. You know, they, that there's a hand watering, that, you know, are they doing reverse osmosis on the water? There's a whole checklist of things that I don't think a lot of cannabis industry professionals are really aware of. And I've posted the Ten Commandments on my LinkedIn, like, as to inform people of, you know, there's people out here that are really striving for perfection. So if you're just striving for mediocrity, you're going to be growing mids because there are people in California that are doing craft cannabis on an eight light thing and getting the every top dollar for it because it's in demand. And they don't, they don't care about big cannabis. They're not affected by big cannabis, but big cannabis is affected by them and you can't eradicate them because they're not playing. What do you think for big cannabis is going to do in the next few years? What's Where are we headed with big cannabis? Well, I think it's going to be more like what BMG is, specialists. Because that's what I, the big, bigger isn't better. And can't, everybody who knows weed and knows that. Like you can't tell the well-informed cannabis consumer that, hey, this, because it's, it's just marketing. They're trying to deceive you by saying, hey, this, we grew this in a hundred lights in a rock wool with a salt pump. We never did a real flush. Your ash is going to be kind of gray, but the packaging is pretty. Like, but consumers are smart. They know about the flush. They know that ash quality is, is one, an indication of heavy metals. Two, the residual process of the flush. Most people, like I bought weed from a dispensary and had straight gray and black ash before. I'm like, this is disappointing. This is not an enjoyable smoke. It, well, would you say that happens more often than not? I would say that that's probably the industry standard because you have uninformed people who don't love weed more than they love money. Or we love weed more than we love money. Money comes when you love weed. But if you think you're going to get money without loving weed in this industry, good luck. Like, it's not going to happen because the, you're selling to people who love weed. 
So if you yourself don't love weed, how are you ever going to know what a weed lover wants? What somebody who loves what they're looking for? Because you're just trying to grow some plants to make a profit. I'm trying to grow the best weed so that I enjoy smoking that. You brought up a controversial subject, and um, there are many science-minded people uh, that think flushing is bro science, and how do you feel about that? It sounds like you think it's definitely... Well, I mean, I, I, that's the thing is I'm friends with... Anybody who's telling you it's bro science is trying to maximize their yield and doesn't smoke weed and has never grown weed to smoke themselves. I think there's some studies done... Um, but I know some scientists that I'm going to bring them on to discuss flushing. Well, look, like I said, I'm not an expert in the area of cultivation, but every expert that I've ever dealt with, including Mr. Sherbinsky himself, has a two to three week flush in their protocols. Every master grower that I know in the state of California has mm. a flush in, in, integrated into it. I think there's so, a lot that don't when you're talking about growing in living soil and just growing in soil. Oh, well, no, that, that's, the, that's the other thing is if you're growing in living soil, some people who grow in living soil, they just feed water the whole time. So it entirely depends on your medium. But I would say the average grower in the average, in the average California cultivation system, most of them, most, not, most, if not all, are not doing living soil. You're lucky if you're getting a soil medium and they're not just doing rock wool all the way through. Oh, I, I mean, you can see it on Instagram. These people aren't but, hiding it like... You know what I mean? And, and, and it's only the educated consumer that's paying attention to the medium. There's because a most of getting caught up in the strains. Flushing and being uh, disproven. So I would say I observe but all the cannabis it, growing. Well, 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 also, that's the other thing is you can't flush out. If you're growing in heavy metals and heavy mediums, that will never be flushed out. So it, it, there are certain things that is, that is actually a factual correct statement. Certain things that aren't uh, in, indicative of what the plant is being fed yeah, of course. you can't flush those things out because those things are present in the soil medium. So this, but the, the nutrients need to be flushed out. So yeah, you can't flush out heavy metals. Nothing will do that. That's, if the heavy metals are present in the soil, it's going to be reflected in the plant. However, How do you feel about curing? I feel that curing is essential. And that's one of the reasons why at BMG we refuse to put anything in anything but a jar. Because as cannabis sits, it either improves based on its sitting condition or it degrades based on its sitting conditions. And if cannabis is being stored in a bag, it's scientifically proven that it's actually degrading the cannabis. So when you put it in a jar, it's going to help the cannabis appreciate uh, both its nose and its, its ability to smoke properly and evenly. And it's, you know, I didn't make up the science. It's just following the science at that point. And it's, it's, it's really not rocket science. Like if you leave, uh, when we used to leave weed in a bag, you'd see the crystals start to eat into the side of the plastic bag until we, somebody said, no, nah, dude, you got to leave your weed in a jar. Plastic eats the weed. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you learn through, you know, seeing the crystals get uh, eaten up from the plastic sandwich bag that you would keep it in and being like, yeah, that doesn't look like that's good. Like, and then people are like, no, you got to leave it in a jar so it cures right. So I think curing is essential, but that's some another of, reason why. It's what are some of your why. favorite strains? <sighs> wow. <laughs> that's good. Top 10, I, top I mean, 20, hit me. I mean, that's the thing is I'm spoiled. Like I, I've smoked things that aren't even available to the public. Like I just smoked on uh, a tester batch from Kenny Powers uh, called number six. That was unreal in its terpene profile. Um, Wild Child, uh, our sister to the Cookies Doggy Bag project from Snoop Dogg and Cookies, uh, 
they bought number 18 from Grandiflora and we're buying number 19 and calling it wild child. So our wild child, which is four, five, one, six cross to the Skittles. It's amazing. And it, if you smoke doggy bag, it's similar, but different. Cause all we, when we sat down, when my co-founder and I sat down, we actually have five of the strains that we wanted from that genetic crossing, but uh, we had to narrow it down to one. Um, and I, I'm telling you, all of those, they had something special. Number seven of the four, five, one, six to the Skittles was something, it was so powerful, it, but it didn't have any terps. Like when you smoked it, it didn't have anything that really tasted and the nose wasn't really present, but, but man, it was so powerful. So it's like, that's the thing is like, I've smoked strains that the public will never see. They'll never, it'll never be released uh, because we were doing phenote hunting for our brand. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that I've, you know, I've smoked Browski. I smoked Pelly, which is now like a dead strain because Champelli, somebody who will probably end up having on our podcast was like a famous dude who was washing his money in music and shipping weed in from Canada. And he hopped out of uh, the city to avoid a gun charge. And he, tr- he thought he beat the statute of limitations, but came back and having due time. But he had his own strain back when no one had their own strain. And he was one of those guys that was a, a, a known, well-known guy. And so I've smoked all the old school strains and all the strains that the people have had. I, I'll be honest with you. I just love weed. I don't have, a, at this point, I don't have a favorite strain. I have a I'm more appreciative of the grower and the terps and making sure the ash is clean and it smokes right. I just love weed. I, you know, I'll always love OG Kush. How do you smoke? How do you consume? I'm a joint smoker. I roll joints. I've been rolling joints since I was 16 years old. So it's, I can roll a joint in under a minute. Easy. Like no problem. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I only smoke joints. Joint. Yeah. It's, I'm a joint smoker. I, and I, I think it's easy. It's clean. You know, you're, when, when you're done, you're done. You're not cleaning a bowl, you know? Yeah. It's not harsh. Yeah. Exa- thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Mark. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about something controversial, like sure. smoking in the, in the workplace. Okay. Let's get into it. So, I made a post yesterday. Uh, it's got almost 4,000 views, which, I mean, I've had posts that, you know, get two or 3,000 views on, on LinkedIn, which is, you know, I only have like 800 connections. So that's, those are pretty decent means I'm getting outside of the people I, I engage with on those posts. But this has been a very, uh, very hot topic. I've gotten a lot of impressions and I, you know, I've had it was unexpected people. pushback. Yeah. Uh, for well, and you know, honestly, but if you look at my post, the last thing I say, if if you're one of those people who says don't smoke at the workplace, odds are you're on the outside looking in on our cannabis culture and our cannabis community, and and that's really that that, and and that's how you can tell who's really about the plant and people having access to something that brings them happiness. I, look, maybe some people are immediately thinking of like somebody working with heavy machinery and like, Oh, you, you know, you yeah. But you see, that's the thing. There's no heavy machinery in cannabis industry. Like, like I'm not talking about smoking on the job at Amazon fulfillment centers. I'm talking about if you like, and that's the other thing, maybe it's a dirty secret, but more often than not, if you go into any cannabis dispensary, anything where cannabis is being cultivating like that, odds are the people there, probably are high got high that morning will get high at lunch they're just not open about it there and, and maybe that's just the way that that has to be because of licensing with and laws which is what a bunch of people who are obviously outside the culture said 
because people inside the culture don't care about the laws. They're just going to smoke. And if you want to deal with that, you don't like that I get high, cool, man. Fire me because I care more about enjoying myself and enjoying this brief and short time I have on this planet than following some arbitrary rule that you set up. And I think it's hypocritical of people in the cannabis industry to tell people they can't enjoy a plant that we're selling to people to go enjoy the plant. And a lot of people don't consume just for recreational, just to be high. Like I know I consume for ADHD. Like I am a different person and not in a good way. If I'm not ingesting some cannabis, people are like, Oh, you seem edgy and like aggressive. And it's because when I have my ADHD, I get triggered by things that, uh, normal people aren't triggered by they don't hear the same cues but i take things the wrong way because of the way my brain's wired but if i smoke weed i give myself a second to reflect and be like maybe they're not meaning what i think that is maybe i shouldn't respond to that it's actually served me really well you know but maybe everybody can't function i go do jujitsu for three hours every tuesday on weed like hot really really stoned and i go i go train for three hours like i can i can function on cannabis it doesn't take me out of my element But yeah, if you hire somebody, they get so high that they can't do their job, maybe tell them not to get that high again. And if they get that high again, well, maybe now you have something to, maybe you you need to take action. But I'm of this, I'm, I'm like, you know, give people the option to, to be them, their best self. And for some people like myself, my best self is my stone self. I'm better high. I'm a better person for the community, for society, for my, for the people around me, for the people around me, I'm a better individual and that's a that's an important thing well i feel the same way loves you back and makes you better yeah no one's ever died from it you know what i mean no one's ever died from smoking weed it's not lethal there's no lethal dose it's it's just positive and our systems our human body systems we have an endocannabinoid system built into us which tells us we're supposed to be ingesting this plant you know it's it's science it's just the it's, it's disrupting the narrative that people have been telling themselves for years and years and years. And it's, it's hard for people to accept that they've been lied to, but then it's like they have no other choice to say, well, either Nancy Reagan was wrong or we're wrong right now. It's like, no, Nancy Reagan was clearly wrong and lying to everybody, but that was the there was more money in the lie than there is in the cell then. And now there's more money in the cell than there is in the lie that weed is bad for you. Weed is not bad for you. Weed is good for you. I'm going, I'm sorry, my my brain's jumping around. I'm going way back to your stories of high school. Okay. How big was your high school? How many students? So SI was about, I want to say SI was 300 300 kids per class. So maybe a a school of 1,200 maybe. Okay, it's a that's... really well-known prep school in the Bay Area. It's, oh, okay. You were at prep school. Yeah, huh? Oh, yeah. It was like – yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like a Jesuit prep school. Like, it was – Did everybody smoke weed? Well, that was the other thing is the people who smoked weed, it was like a really – it was not a big thing. Way more people drank than they smoked weed. So there was like a really – by the time my senior year came around, I was definitely hanging out with all the stoners. Like, and it was like this really eclectic group of people, uh, uh, you know – I actually posted on LinkedIn a picture of me the day after I graduated lighting up a joint <laughs> the day after I graduated SI on uh, Sunset Boulevard. Were um, you a rebel? Well, it, it, I mean, to smoke back then was rebellious. Remind you, this is pre-prop, you know, pre-prop 215. It was just to be a, a smoker, a weed smoker with some visibility. And I had long hair and stuff like that was... It was a statement. You were, 
this is 1996. This is not now. You know, 1996, long hair, smoking weed in public. You know, it was it was a scene. You know, I, and I was happy to like that summer. I took mushrooms 25 times. I can I'm tell you that. Glad you brought that up. That was my next question. How popular were psychedelics? Oh man, I, like I said, I did. I did mushrooms and acid for the first time that year in 1996 and i i mean i went it was fun it was i mean psychedelics were big it was it's kind of interesting because i've i've watched these waves so it you know 60s 70s psychedelics are big then it kind of pauses the 80s obviously coke and crack and all that other stuff but then the psychedelics come back big mid 90s as jerry garcia dies there's kind of this little hippie renaissance uh, from like 95 to 98 or like kind of that so hippie true. vibe that so hippie true. vibe kind of permeates popular culture and now it's kind of coming back 20 years later and also psychedelics like it's kind of interesting you know at 18 I did mushrooms so many times but it was obviously like you know lose I lost my dad at the age of 16 so losing your uh, any parent in your teens is going to be a traumatic thing and two oh, years yeah. later I'm doing a bunch of mushrooms that and that really helped me deal with a traumatic issue of losing a parent at a young age so it's like you kind of intuitively go to these things when you start smoking weed, the proper plant medicine, because I always said, if it grows from the earth, it can never really have any negative effects. It's always been my mentality. So like weed and mushrooms, if you take those things, they're never really going to hurt you because they're naturally occurring substances. They're supposed to, they're supposed to be an interaction with the human. So I mean, you know, I've never done cocaine. I've never done heroin, never done any hard drugs because I've always, I've always said weed is all I need. So I've avoided, I was like, they always say weed is the gateway. I was like, weed is the exit. You never need anything else if you fall in love with weed, you know? And that's why having good weed and being in California was essential because you, see, you do see a lot of people who, you know, if you're smoking Reggie in the Midwest, odds are, yeah, you might start, you might start going on to harder drugs because the weed sucks. But if you get really good weed, you don't need other drugs. I'm living proof because I've never done any other drugs. It's just weed and psychedelics, so. That's cool. That's really cool. It's really cool. But that's the other thing. I, I, like, I love weed so much that I was like, I don't want anything. I didn't want anything to interfere with my love of weed. <laughs> I was like, I, I've got such a good relationship with her. <laughs> All right. Tell me now I'm going back to your, your business. Mm-hmm. Now, is it a club? Do you, do you get some type of customer service? And how many strains do you usually have on deck? Okay. So terms- we're, yeah. we're really lucky. Like, Right now, we're kind of like a we're a weed maps. We're like a platform, but we're it's like it's, the reason why it's called BMG Elite is like you know you're getting the best. Like when we started working with Grandiflora, it was well before they started. It was before the Snoop Dogg uh, doggy bag was even crossed. Was when we started working with them. And it was before they started working with Pooh Shiesty. So now, like Grandiflora is arguably one of the biggest geneticists, if not the biggest geneticist in cannabis right now, currently. So well before we were, they were of that level, we were already working with them. So it's kind of been this interesting rise where now we have to make sure our quality stays consistent. So right now, we are working on platforming Party Time Farms and some Grandiflora on our next drop, which is through Proven SF and our partner through Proven SF. Right now, we are a platform. We are a cannabis marketing company until our next round of capitalization. We have obviously have plans to get into cultivation, all these other things. But right now, it's about platforming and highlighting the best in California cultivation that we know uh, and that we believe in. And once we get... This is our, important. Yeah. 
there's not enough, I don't see enough or hear enough um, about this emphasis on the best flower. So what you're doing, I'm very interested in, and I want to see how this pans out. Well, I, I, look at I, my company, I, like I said, I, my company is for the culture. BMG is for the cannabis culture. It's for the cannabis community. I want, when people open our jar, I want them to be wowed. It's weed that wows you. You open it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to enjoy it and I want to come back to it. And if it's not that quality, I don't want to put it in my jar. I really don't. I don't. That's the cool thing. We're a platform. So if it, if it, we don't have the traditional overhead of a cannabis brand where we have to get something out. If it's not good enough, it's not on our site. Like I said, I'd rather there be nothing on my website than have something that's inferior that when the customer opens it up, they're let down. Like, I've been let down buying weed off the shelf as a white label customer. That is unacceptable. If you're paying 50 to 60 to $70 an eighth, you should never get let down, both from the jar appearance and the smoke itself. So that's why it's important for us to have a weed that wows people when, we, when you open the jar. And, yeah. and, and, and our, it literally says on our website, quality over everything. I will, I, money is secondary. I want the weed to be the best. Money comes when you love what you do. And the money is going to be the by money is the byproduct of doing something well, and what we do it does is done well anyhow. We've already we've we've made money. I don't care about making money. I care about making the best product experience for the customer. I want people to be happy with the, with their experience with the flower, and have a positive interaction with the brand every time they interact with it. Which is why we created the signature series jar set. You know, once we sell out, we we're, I think we're a couple of jars away from selling out our first run. And once we sell our first run, we're giving away a Gucci backpack. The jars have numbers on them. Somebody's got a, a jar number that's going to win them a Gucci backpack. And that's the first prize we're giving away to one of our jar members. Because a big thing with me is loyalty. Loyalty is royalty. It's a big part. It's on our website. I want to, if, you, if brand people are, if the people who buy our brand are loyal to us, we will be royal to them. We're going to give them the best customer experience you've ever had. That's why when everything's equal, we're better. You can go buy an eighth of grand of flora from somebody else, or you can buy an ounce from us. You see what I'm saying? And mm. just by us selling an ounce, we're saying we love you. Because if somebody sells you an eighth, they really are saying you're going to smoke this in about – if you're really a smoker, you smoke an eighth in like a day, two, maybe three. But you're going back soon. When you buy an ounce, you're like, oh, I've got enough weed for however long. Like I can smoke an ounce in a week if I'm being conservative. Like if I really have – you know, if I really want to smoke, I can smoke an eighth in a day. So it's like – you see what I'm saying? consumption patterns are so variant that the more weed, you, it's never a bad thing. No one's ever like, Oh, I got too much weed. If, you, if you've got an ounce of weed, it's not too much weed. You know, even if it takes you a month to smoke an ounce, like that's you'll, you've saved money. You save time. You haven't gone to the gas station. And you know, what's interesting. We, you could buy before we launched our brand, you could buy the only ounces you could find would be like light depth, greenhouse, small buds. And they would be like cheap ounces. We are the first person to put high end, premium cannabis in a full jar and i'm not going to call out anybody but we've seen a lot of people like literally copy us in the jar copy the full ounce after we did it and i just imitation is the biggest form of flattery i'm and it, honestly it just benefits the customer and like i said i'm all about the customer if you don't buy my brand great buy somebody else's brand if they're selling you an ounce just make sure it's the best because that's what our standard sets you see that logo that's the best you have a unique pre-roll well that's the other thing we uh you can go buy somebody like we love weed. So we want to make something that's special when we do a pre-roll. So we hire the highest artisanal rollers we can find on social media and we get them, we get the material and we roll it up. 
And that's what we do. So when we, when we do our next drop of pre-rolls, it's going to be, they're going to, they're, the cost is going to reflect the quality, but that's what we're all about. We're all, it's a quality over everything. And I, there, and trust me, when we started, when we did our first drop of pre-rolls just, and we were giving those away to people. We wanted to just kind of let people know how we were coming into the market. I mean, the response, I mean, people, this is before our Instagram got taken down. And which is another whole story to itself. Are you on Instagram? Oh, well, we have an Instagram now, but my co-founder, Bernie Gonzalez, had been building an Instagram for years, posting cannabis pictures with no issues. Uh, We got into the legal market uh, and utilizes Instagram, which was, you know, when when I started taking over posting had, uh, you know, it had a decent amount, like 84, 8,500 followers. so we were, we were building the brand, posting a lot, getting it going. Within a week of us launching to the public, it was flagged and shut down by, obviously, opposition who didn't want to see. Because we were, we were gaining 100 followers a week. We were really on the – and people were, people were excited about it. We told people about the Gucci bag. People were – you know, they were – we were going to – we had our Instagram account not been taken down. I think we would have sold out a lot quicker. But it's not – it's been a blessing in disguise to not be on Instagram because when our Instagram got taken down, I actually got on LinkedIn and LinkedIn is been such a better. Uh, Isn't platform. that crazy? Isn't that crazy? It, it, it's crazy. And honestly, I've had people in my DMS say, Hey, I love what you're doing with your brand. I can't wait to try it. And it's CEOs and founders of companies. That's our, that's who our company's for. It's for CEOs and founders, people who want to have the best weed delivered to their house with no fuss, no muss, because they're busy being brilliant. Oh, you that's just lost. You just offended a lot of people that are not CEOs and they still want the best. <laughs> well, the, but it, but you see, you're like, here's the thing, Mark, you're a CEO. You just don't know it. You have, you have a brand that you have, but you just don't perceive yourself. Cause right now you're just doing the podcast. Actually like that. Your <laughs> brand has, your brand James. has, Everybody's I work for myself. I've been working for myself there for a go. long time. There I've you been go. my own boss there you for a go. long time. I Thank love you. it. I love it, Mark. That's, my, <laughs> that's why I love it. That's why I love everything you post about it. Is I love, I love the, the people in this world that do that for themselves. And that's why I think everybody's a CEO and a founder in, in that respect. You're, everybody is. Everybody's got it in them. It's just did they take the time to, to take the risk? Like you said, you've been, to say I've been self-employed a long time, Mark, means that you stood on your own and said, whatever comes, it's on me. And I love that, dude. I love hearing people say, man, I've been self-employed a long time because that means you've been living off the kill of, of the world. You know, what you can make happen for yourself. That, that it, it inspires me to hear people say that because so many people just say, well, I'll just I'll take the easy route, man. I can just do this little thing. And I've dude, got multiple streams of income, web hosting, search engine optimization, copywriting, dude. marketing, oh. consulting. Dude. The I love podcast, it. I love the homegrown consultant. Mark, I love it, dude. And I now love it. Dark Heart Nursery, which I've dude, I saw that. And congratulations! I want to say that. Congratulations on that new gig, dude. That's really cool, dude. I saw that on LinkedIn. Congratulations! It's really cool, man. Doesn't like, feel very new because I've just been collaborating with them for so many years. But now so. they made it official. Well, now it's just like there wasn't anyone um, that they knew personally to take ownership of the San Diego market. Really, and I love San Diego. And How long have you been I in San want, Diego? Since 2008. I love San Diego myself. It's, it's a great town. It's a great town. Yeah. So I was all about, you know, I, I have my roots here and I help people learn to grow at home. And this is the perfect fit to represent these genetics, which I'm pretty in love with, especially uh, Midnight Splendor. You inspired me to grow at home. 
You inspired Goodness, me to do amazing. it. Again. So, Mark, thank you, thank you once again. I saw you doing. It. I was like, you know, this. I'm. It, it got me off my butt. I was like, let's get some soil. Let's go do it. It's not. Let's prove to the world. And it's also, you know, it's a, it's a fun story to show the world how easy it is, in some respects, to grow some weed. It's not that easy, but it's it can be easy if you make it simple for yourself. Yep, and it takes time. You know, you're. It does. Oh, and, you're. And you can only yeah. grow so much per year. It's like you can't. Is that fast true? Forward, but you can't. You can't do the fast forward button. You oh yeah. Oh no. Harvest. I thought I thought there was a limit. Harvest. I thought you, there was a limit on how many plants you could grow per year by the state. But no, you're right. Time time is the limiting factor. You're you're 100 correct. You're 100 correct. Time does limit us. You're right. So you might have two good years, and then year three you hit all these problems because you start experimenting or whatever. So yeah, it's a long learning curve. Uh, but you can grow good weed, good quality weed in the beginning. Yeah, I think I, it's one of those things that they. There's so many levels to it, but you're right. Like you can get to this this quality, decent level where you're you're pleased with it. But that's the thing, and you don't have to know everything. No, because there's people like I actually. It's funny we were even talking about that because I sent a picture. The picture I posted on LinkedIn, I sent to a master grower at Party Time Farms, my buddy Ryan. I was like, "Hey, bud, do you have any tips for how I should grow this?" Like, I'm just lucky enough that I can text a, a high, a well-known master grower uh, for some growing tips on how to how to get the best out of my porch pot experiment so yeah but once again thank you for inspiring me through your posts to take that route on and you know it's so cool that you made something official and and you're going to be pushing a brand that you love to a marketplace that you love because that's how once again mark you're doing what you love like you said you you found you found these multiple ways to create a life for yourself that is all things that interest and intrigue and bring you happiness. And, and, you know, there's a, a famous writer named Joseph Campbell who says, you just follow your bliss in life. And it sounds like that's what you've done. You followed your bliss, similar to like what I've done. I just followed my bliss. And you end up in these really cool places. Like here we are having a really great conversation. And that is a result of both you and I just walking our, these unique paths where we're obviously have strong opinions of what we want for ourselves and, and the, and how we're going to get there. And that's really cool. You know, that's the, the love of cannabis and the love of following the things that bring you fulfillment in life. That's, that's a really cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, my podcast is audio, but what I do when I do my home grow consulting, it's video chat with everyone. Oh, that's cool. So, so you get to I know a lot people. Of fun and I, yeah. That with is really people cool. from around the world. That's that it, Mark. That's really cool. That is actually really cool. That rely on me to direct their first home grow, second home grow, because sometimes they start and realize, oops, I really can't do this without some help. Well, you know, the funny thing is I haven't, like, I grew some stuff last year, obviously, just kind of playing it by ear. But the last time I actually ran a grow, I was, like, it was 2011, Mario, a.k.a. Mr. Sherbinsky, was my grow partner at my house. So it's like, you know, you, you, you it's kind of like riding a bike. You kind of remember the steps and stuff like that. You know, the P, like, but back then we were, you know, pH balance in the water. Now the nutrients that they have now don't require the same type of handling. It's such an interesting thing to see the progression. Some of in the them, do. some of them do. Oh, some of them do. Okay. Well, yeah, some of them all. do. Yeah. Yeah. Not all. So, yeah. But I, back then there wasn't, I think it was just GH. That's all we had back then. It was just a wild time. It's evolved and it continues to evolve quick and fast. And it's fast. so cool. It's so cool. What's, what's your podcast going to be called again? Well, the first podcast on the BMG network is going to be called Burn Man's Magic Hour. And that's going to be hosted by a local Bay Area comedian and my co-founder, Bernie Gonzalez. I will probably be a reoccurring guest, but um, 
really, I think it's important for the business consumer face of our brand to be uh, my co-founder as much as it is myself. Um, I really see myself in more of a business to business capacity being the face and letting him do the business to consumer face um, because he's a really affable, likable, down earth, engaging public person. And I think that's a super important thing for a cannabis brand to have somebody who can really go out there and engage the public. Like Bernie's looking forward to the day where, you know, we can have a high times and all these things and he can go press the flesh with the people and, you know, enjoy the public. So what's and, the podcast about? Is it about, it's going to be an oral company history. or, Oh, it's going to be an oral history of Bay area cannabis culture going back to when I started in 93 and, and, you know, up until now. And then, so, so past Bay area cannabis culture, current Bay area cannabis culture, cannabis culture in general, and then bringing in fun people to talk about their life and their experiences about, about cannabis, you know, that's the cool thing is a lot of people like you and myself uh, love weed, like, you know, and, and, ha and have found ways to involve ourselves in the plant, you know, and doing what we love too. And exactly. So it's, it's kind of like these things where we can start to help bring guests in who've, who've lived these really cool life experiences, kind of like you've provided me a platform. Once again, thank you for having me on to kind of share a part of what uh, my experience has been growing up and selling, you know, small sacks of weed at 15 to now having a website where you can order my weed and have it delivered to your house. It's, it's been a really interesting progression, but it, I, it all comes down to following, you know, uh, my passions and the things that I love in life. You know, like I said, at 18, I was making music and then you retire to stop making music to focus on selling weed when most people <laughs> stop selling weed to focus on making music, you know, it was kind of an inverse thing, but the, but, you know, the money was so good and the lifestyle was so much fun and you just get caught up in living it. And then, you know, you get, you get arrested <laughs> and then you get back to living the lifestyle, you get arrested again. And so then you start to realize the lessons and then, you know, you kind of segue out, you mature out of the industry and then it becomes legal. And then you say, oh, now I can really make my mark here. You know, here's something that I love. I couldn't have been a CEO of a cannabis company 10 years ago. It didn't exist. You know, you, it, these things didn't. The world that that we live in now, it just wasn't a reality then. And, and I'm so thankful just to be able to experience this kind of renaissance of both cannabis and psychedelics where people are kind of waking up to the importance of. And it's kind of cool. cool. Like, I, I never thought, thought I always tell people in meetings like, Dude, I never thought we'd be here as an industry. I never thought this industry would be here. I never thought I'd be having these meetings here because it's been it was so illegal when when I started. So it's, it's really been a blessing. I feel very thankful to have lived the life that I've led and to get to this end point of being a CEO of a very cool brand and just kind of sharing our, our brand and our cultural experience with the consuming public. It's fun. I'm, I'm really stoked. Yeah. So, so that people can find you on LinkedIn, it's James Durier. Yeah. D-U-R-Y-E-A. Yeah. And it's the third. You're the third. So I am for people I searching am. online. It's James Durier, the third. Yeah. And we've got your website, BMG Elite. Yeah. BMG Elite.com. We should uh, we should be having our party time drop up on there soon. Uh, you service ever... the area of like a hundred mile radius of San Francisco. Is yep. that right? That's correct. Right now we're doing a hundred mile radius and we're working on our, our Los Angeles and San Diego expansion. That is something that we have on our our targeting of expansion on our path, but it's just been a process of putting all the pieces together up here that it's just been, 
uh, it's been a fun ride because all these these opportunities have been coming at us to the point where we had a meeting with somebody to go down to L.A. and start getting SoCal handled. But so many things came up that we to help build the brand that we couldn't even make the meeting. What we kind had to of delay strategic partners do you need? Well, the cool thing is because of our the way we're, we are aligned is we can come in anybody with any license stack and find a way to work with them. So it's kind of really a cool thing. Like it, it just depends. Like right now we're partnered with the delivery and we're partnered with our, our people with Grandiflora. So we can, you know, we can be anywhere with our brand if, if as long as it fits, uh, it fits our culture, if that makes sense. Like we can have, we were planning on bringing our brand down to LA because there was somebody who was like, oh, we want to do a drop. But it's like, we couldn't even get down there because so many things were coming on up here. Because we don't have, we're, we're not in conflict with any other brand. We don't have a license stack. We're a marketing company. So if somebody wants to be BMG, it's like, well, we can work with you if we like your brand. It's kind of a cool thing. Like we're a cannabis marketing company that's going to be segueing into production and distribution at some point in time. But that's not our primary concern right now. Our primary concern is platforming, the, like kind of like Weed Maps, platforming the, the best that we can find and putting together supply chains for regions. That's really what we're doing right now. Uh, but we do have plans to expand into the cultivation and the distribution of itself, but we're, we're going to do that after our next round of capitalization. And we're not, I'm not concerned with that area right now because we're doing, we're doing really well doing what we're doing. What does BMG stand for? Well, that's the cool thing is we have a bunch of acronyms. When it, when my partner first came to me, his company was called burn man's magic grass. And as a marketer, I realized that that was far one. It was too long Two, It was too niche a name. It, it burn man's magic grass is too many. It's too many. It's too many words. It's just sure. too long a too long a statement to say when you're when you're when you're talking about a brand or a name. So, so I uh, I said no. We got to shorten this down to BMG. And it, it, the, the minute he says like no, it's BMG. And I even saw the logo that we have. I saw it in my head immediately. And then I was like, as I meditated on well, what is BMG? It's BMG stands for a lot of things. First of all, it means black market gods because we were the black market gods back when you had to be, you had, for weed to transport, you had to be a black market god. So first off, it means black market gods. And when you deal with a black market god, you become part of the big money gang. <laughs> That's really so. It's Burn Man's Magic Grass turns into, turns people into being a black market god, which makes you part of the big money gang. And when people mess with the big money gang, you get a beast mode gorilla. So I've made up these fun little plays on the acronym of what BMG is so that when we do seasonal drops of our clothing and of our different designs of our jars, we're going to play with these different acronyms for our branding purposes, because I think it's important to kind of honor what my co-founder had, but then to give different acronyms that kind of fit the vibe of our target market. Also, a part of our business plan is doing collaborations with some high-end designers and doing uh, seasonal drops. So we'll do like a drop where it'll be like the big money gang drop or the black market god drop. We'll play with high-end designers, do limited fashion pieces to kind of inspire uh, a higher niche of clothing. I really don't like uh, how people are trying to sell cannabis culture with cheap clothing and stuff like that. So I want to kind of bring some style to the to the cannabis fashion world by doing some like a uh, limited edition drop type stuff that sounds really neat uh yeah. sounds like that's going to be an la thing 
that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair with you, Mark, my brand is much more Southern California than it is Northern California in some respects. Like I, I have a deep love for Southern California. I, I love the beach. I love the sun. I love, I love a lot about the, I love a lot about the Southern California culture. So our brand very much is an homage in some respects to the Southern California lifestyle, especially the fact that we're a delivery platform. You know, if you're in SoCal, you know, everything is a drive. So we try to set it up so that our brand is something that people can get access to them in a delivery capacity. I was like, we're the perfect brand for Calabasas is how I tell people in LA. Have you thought about the future of shipping? Do you think that shipping will ever become an option? Wait, I cannot. It's, I mean, Mark, what if you told for? me, if you, yeah, my thing is, if you told me, you know, 10 years ago that cannabis be, would be where it is now, I would have been like, wow, you're tr- that's wild. Because the industry's on like a light year fast track, especially as, because numbers don't lie. Money doesn't lie. We're talking about billions and billions of dollars in each area that it's legal. And these people can't lie to themselves and say that weed is, weed is not as harmful as alcohol. Alcohol is heavily available, not really regulated, you know, and has far more catastrophic end effects. Alcohol is a lethal dose. You can drink yourself to death. You cannot smoke yourself to death. Yet one is widely available. The other one is widely regulated. So it's like there's still a lot of hypocrisy. But I I have a lot of faith that it's just a matter of time. It really is. Because I like I said, I never thought 20 years ago we'd be where we are now. And it's because of it's because of brave people like yourself who are willing to set up a podcast and say, no, man, I teach people how to grow. I'm going to I'm going to be vocal about my love of cannabis and I'm going to vocal in public about my love of cannabis to the point where you're making a show about it. And that helps change the narrative, you know, and then people people on the front lines who engage other people and say, no, you know, I smoke weed and it's okay." because there's a bunch of people think weed's still bad. (laughs) They think we because they're. They were told no. You told not well, to experiment. An example of that would be some of the sobriety programs. They lump cannabis into the same bucket as alcohol, heroin, yeah. cocaine. Um, I have somebody coming on the podcast in a month or two that's doing a very pro medical cannabis sobriety uh, program. So that's going to be interesting. But it's controversial. But that's but I don't. I agree with that guy's principle. I think that cannabis is an exit drug, and I disagree with the people who uh, say the people who are trying to be sober shouldn't smoke weed. If you give somebody who needs something something that they need to get through life, like methadone, we give heroin addicts methadone so that they don't have the withdrawal. If somebody can smoke weed and not become an alcoholic, that's a great thing. There's actually a comedian that I'm a huge fan of and i've met a couple times he's a cool dude named dan soder he has a, a show on sirius xm and a podcast called the bonfire and he's an admitted alcoholic who stopped drinking but still smokes weed to deal with not drinking but he doesn't drink but he smokes weed and he's like yeah it works for me he's like i don't i don't drink i don't have any i don't have any of the issues i just smoke weed and he's okay with that you know i think I think weed is a really helpful positive thing that can help people who do have problems with other substances find find relief and for anybody to demonize somebody else's path to happiness on this planet there they should you know it's that judge not you should judge yourself like that person's paying attention to somebody else to take away from the attention they should be paying to their own issues you know what i mean like don't if somebody's happy and they're going through this life as long as they're not hurting anybody else let that person be if they're smoking weed they're smoking they're okay they're handling their business let that person be 
you know? I think a lot of people that do drink too much, they end up making a lot of poor decisions. If you smoke yeah. too much, you know, you go to sleep. You just get tired. Yeah. <laughs> and then you Mark, stop. You nailed it. Or you find a better strain. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, there's, there's no, like, there are, like, think about how many times people have made poor decisions that have had, like, lifelong repercussions on alcohol. Like, drinking and driving, all kinds of stuff. There's huge, huge, like, go down the list, all kinds of stuff. There's no, like, lifelong repercussions from smoking too much weed. You won't get in a car and do anything crazy. It, it's just not that type of energy, you know? And there, that's the reason why it's, like, so important that we educate future generations about what's important, how they should, how they should look at the world, how cannabis is a much better, healthier, safer alternative to alter your state than anything else minus mushrooms, which they've I was said just going to say, except for perhaps psychedelics. <laughs> except, so, for, except for mushrooms. Mushrooms are even, even better for you than marijuana because there's no, uh, most times marijuana is ingested is through the smoking. And I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing that a lot of people project the, that industry is going to be far more lucrative than the cannabis industry itself. Well, you know why, right? It's because the cost of production. Cost of production, it costs so little to produce mushrooms and like the space, the space to yield on creating a mushroom uh, grow versus a cannabis grow. It's, and plus the resources and that mushrooms take, I think, a month to pull versus cannabis is just three or four, depending on how you've gone about it, unless you're doing like a sea of green. But yeah, no, mushrooms, you can harvest, I think, every month to five weeks. So yeah, there's a quicker turn, less overhead. Yeah, there's. I mean, if you look at the numbers, psychedelics are huge in that regard. But then it's not also, just not just mushrooms. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see if California decriminalizes all the other substances. It'll be interesting to see. But you know, it, I think it starts with mushrooms because mushrooms. You really, it's hard to argue against mushrooms. Sure. Um, you know, LSD. I've done LSD. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of LSD just because the duration of the experience. Yeah. But you know. It, it, it can be, it, I guess, set in setting. If you're at a music festival, I can see how LSD. Well, you're on. a busy guy. You don't have 12 hours. <laughs> I don't have, that's what I was saying. Like, the last time I did it, it was a real issue because I, I needed some sleep. Yeah, exactly. Mushrooms are more my pace because it's a, it's a four-hour window with, like, a one-hour peak, you know, hour, hour-and-a-half peak, and then you're back out of it. I can handle that. How about DMT? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done DMT. Oh, yeah, DMT's, DMT is great. I love DMT, but like, it's also like that's a set. What, tell thing. me about your experiences with DMT. Uh, well, what did you see? Well, the first time I smoked DMT was with uh, SF Flux, a.k.a. Red, a.k.a. Sean. And I didn't really have that, like, I didn't really blast off. I definitely had an experience, but I felt it. But I definitely have blasted off. Um, and it's actually funny. One of the times I smoked it in 2013, I, I like, you know, basically I was told, you know, you're going to change the world with weed. And I thought it had something to do with the fact that I was working with Hemp 2.0. What I was do like, you okay, mean you were told? That's what the other side, when I, they're like, you're going to change the world with weed. That's what I was told on the other side when I smoked DMT. That so was, you were getting a message. That's what I was told. Like that, I remember going to the other side. I remember that was what I was told when I was on DMT. When I came back, I thought it had everything to do with the company Hem2O because I was involved in Hem2O at the time. And so, did you see a being? Was it a being communicating to you, or was it, it just it an was auditory? More, it was. It was more like it wasn't as much of a being as much as it was. Uh, like it was like a, it was a it was a voice. Like it was okay. A, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't see it being as much a voice, but I there's obviously like I've seen beings and visual stuff like that. Uh, 
but th- that was more the, like the time after that. Cause the time after I did that is when I felt like I was more like flying through space and seeing stuff like, you know, faces and all kinds of stuff. It was, that was, that was more trippy, but the time before, I was like, you're going to change the We With World. Was, and I thought it had everything to do with the fact that we were being the first. Hemp 2.0 beverage was the first uh, beverage with hemp infusion. So I thought that that was how, what that meant. And it was actually interesting that you bring that up. Because, you know, when the Hemp 2.0 thing, when, I, when we disassociated, I was like, wow, I wonder what, I was like, I wonder what this DMT message meant. Because, I, like, it didn't make any sense to me. And then I, I, I had been working on other projects with a geneticist called uh, Sirius 415. He and I were working on some things and then that kind of fell apart. And then I was working on this other cannabis project and that fell apart. I was like, every time those projects fell apart, I was like, wow, I guess that, that DMT trip wasn't, you know, whatever. And then 2018, I reconnect with my now co-founder and here we are. And I really do feel like now that vision that I had in 2013 that I'm now even really thinking about because of our conversation, it's now kind of coming into play because I do feel that we've just by putting a premium ounce in a jar, we've changed the world of cannabis. So, and I feel like we haven't even gotten started. Our brand isn't even, it's not even at its fullest capacity. We're just, like I said, we're three months old and we're just starting to, to get our footing and getting into the marketplace. Well, you've got, many years ahead of you. I know I'm stoked. <laughs> it's really cool. And I lo- that's the thing is I, I see us doing this. Like I'm happy to run this till I'm no longer breathing. Like I can do this and love weed and, and talk about my love of weed and bring the best customer experience, bring the best flower, move into extracts. I can, I can do this till, till I'm off the planet. It's not a problem. <laughs> I understand the feeling. <laughs> well, you've got, you know, you, I'm, I'm actually happy you told me about all the things you do. Mark, you have a really, you've carved out a really cool life for yourself, bro. I'm proud to hear about that, man. That's really cool. All the stuff you do. Thank you. You should be very yeah. proud of yourself, man. That's really cool. You know, I've worked pretty hard and. Well, that's know. the byproduct of it. You know, that's it's what like, happens when you yeah. focus and. Yeah, I love it. And you don't give it. up and. That, you know, you just said it. You just said it. You know, being tenacious in life. That's if you've got grit and you don't give up, they can't teach that. But if you got it, you'll always get where you want to go. Well, I believe that 100%. And we're going to have you back. And if I'm ever up in your area and I will be, um, I'll definitely come see you. I'm stoked on that. Please do. We'll hopefully our podcast studio is up and then you can come on our podcast. We'll have some flour for you. Come on up. How fun. Absolutely. I'll definitely come up and. Man, it's been great talking to you. Yeah. I feel like we've covered a lot of unique topics. So yeah. hopefully uh, your your first three months become a year. Oh, yeah. And you look back and have some success stories to share with us. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it a lot. And let me know about what's going on with your intentions in San Diego. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And uh, I'm sure we can collaborate on many fronts. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you can be of great use to us in the San Diego era, Mark. So we'll talk about that off air. Man, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, any, let's, let's, I'm going to get you with one last sizzling question. Okay. Give some advice to people that can't get a job in cannabis. Okay. There seems to be a lot of this talk. Okay. So my tips for giving or for getting a job in cannabis. One, 
have a specific intention or area that you want to start at. Like if you want to be a cultivator or if you want to be in market, like have a vision of where it is that this position that you're starting, if it's bud tender, because, you know, people like to say Gil or Burner started from bud tender to this high end boss, but he was also like selling major black market weed to make that happen. So there isn't going to necessarily be that same level of ascension for every average bud tender, unless that bud tender has like a very succinct plan of what they want the industry to give them. Cause that's the most important thing is having a clear set vision of what it is that you want from the cannabis industry. Cause that's going to separate you from the dude. Oh dude, I just want to work here. Cause I'm going to get a discount. If you walk into an uh, interview and say, I want to get this job because in three years, this is where I see myself in the cannabis industry. And I feel that this is a good foothold because now you're telling the person across that this is not just, I want the employee discount. It's like, no, I believe I, I love weed. I want this job for this reason. Because a lot of people just want or that your desk Yeah. And you'll take anything. You'll take yeah. any job. You should be showing that like they're on purpose. Yeah. That this that you have that this this it's not just this job that I'm going to get till I get a job somewhere else. No, that I, I love I love weed. Here's how I want to show I love weed. I'll be a bud tender. I'll be a trimmer. But here's where I like to end up. Because if you tell the person across the desk, here's where I'm trying to end up versus the person who just comes in, like you said, desperate, just looking for a job, looking for something to put, you know, gas in the car and food in their belly. The person who has a purpose and a reason for being there is always going to stand out versus the person who's just there, like you said, for the job. So it's about conveying your purpose of why you feel not just that this job is good for you, but how you feel this job is going to help you scale yourself in this industry. Be like, yeah, man, I feel like a bud tender is a really good way for me to get to know the customer's preferences so that when I get a job or when I look into how I can be in cannabis marketing, I'll have a direct experience with how people make this engagement because I really am interested in getting into cannabis marketing long term. I feel like being a bud tender is a good way for me to grow myself in the industry because everybody does start somewhere. Everybody does start somewhere, but it's about having a vision of how that starting point will get you somewhere further. That's very good advice. Now, on the other side of the coin... What do you say to, let's say, the bud tenders that are not happy in their job and that they're constantly stressed, going through drama at work, complaining? How about these people? What would you say to them? Okay, so it's about focusing on the energy you had when you were that other person on the table we just talked about, when you're the person who was asking for this gig. Because you asked – remember, that these people asked for this gig. They, they showed up and asked for this, and then – we, people lose the attitude of gratitude. This goes in relationships. This is a relationship that people have with their work, with the people around them. And it's just about having an appreciation and remembering how lucky you are to be having this experience. That there's people literally lined up to take your job. They want your job. You're, the things that stress you out, they, they can't wait to have. They want to have. Uh, Ooh, good you, reminder. You see what I'm saying? Is You have to have that attitude of gratitude. You know? And that's one of the things I stop when I – because, you know – Building a brand and, and taking on the world and all these things, it's, can't, yeah, it's, it's challenging. But I'm like, A, this is what I asked for. And B, I don't want to be doing anything else. So be grateful that, you know, in the cosmic sense, your life is fantastic. You're going to get, you know, everything always works out if you work hard. I, I, have, I firmly believe that. If you work hard, things work out because you're working hard, you know, and let the work speak for itself. So if, if you're a bud tender, if you – want to be a CEO of a company or if you want to have a podcast and, a, and, and help shape the world, if, that's, if those are your goals, where you're starting now can help you get there. You never know who's going to – if you're a bud tender, you never know who's going to come through that door. 
You know, once if, if your company's letting you take that mask off and you can smile at somebody, you never know what that smile is going to do. You know what? You just mentioned the mask. And I'm wondering if there are any dispensaries anywhere having their bud tenders wear see-through masks. Because every time I've gone to a dispensary, it's like the communication is kind of hard because it's, you don't see it's a, their look, face. This is a, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a fan. I, I'm, not, I'm not out here trying to cause a rebellion or anything. I'm just not a, I, I like to see people's faces. I understand people's health, safety, securing. I'm not here to cause any uptick or uprising. A uh, transparent mask, a see-through mask. That, and I mean, also the CDC has said that, you know, masks, they've made an announcement that the mask wearing uh, can be removed in certain circumstances, especially for vaccinated people. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of science kind of dispersing. I don't know how, it's going to be interesting to see, because there's some people who straight up say they never want to take their mask off. Like, I've seen it. Like, I've seen the posts and it's kind of scary. It's like, they're I, like, I, I walked by somebody in the street and I didn't have my mask on. There's nobody around. And then there's some, finally some people coming towards me. And um, I, I move, I get out of the way. And one of them made a snarky remark. And they were like, oh, some people. And then he went on to say that he'll, he'll be the last person wearing the mask. He's going to be the see, very last see, person. I, there, it's, one of the, it's one of these weird things where um, I heard somebody say, we've turned fear into a virtue. And I yeah. think that that's a really important thing to remember is this whole experience has said the more fear you have the, the, and the more you display your fear of whatever this unknown thing is, the more virtuous you are to our public. And why that's disingenuous is that fear is an illusion created by the individual uh, because the more you fear something, the more power it has over you. Like most people have a common fear of death. Most people that have done mushrooms don't care about death at all. Because you get over your fear of death really quick when you, because you experience the ego death on mushrooms. Yeah. You're like, li life is temporary and transitory to begin with. Nothing is, we're not here permanently. You it's know what they found? They found that people that are dying, that are having trouble with accepting it, depression, the whole thing, after they take the mushrooms, they become the caretakers of all the family because yeah. they're the ones that are now at peace. Yeah. And they, then they, they can help everyone it. else deal with losing that's why mushrooms are so – that's why microdosing is so important for people. I, I think microdosing is super important for people who have had traumatic issues. I think that you learn to let go. This is, that's such an important part of life is learning to let go of the things that we hold on to because you can't really enjoy the now if you're holding on to the past or you have anxiety about the future. You have to be here now. That's like I think a Ram Dass thing, but you have to, you have to exist in the now. And that's a big – Robert Campbell again. He says, we are where infinite time meets infinite space in what is termed as the infinite now. So this moment will never come back. And the, the, the future is, you know, the future is unknown. The past is written. But we have now. And the people that take advantage of the now are the ones that always succeed in life because they recognize the power of now, which is, I think, Eckhart Tolle wrote a book called that. And it's, it's, it's very simple that. You know, you've carved a life for yourself in San Diego since 2008 to do the things that bring you bliss and to, to find the things that you enjoy doing to give back to you. And that's that's the epitome of living in the now is you, you said, oh, yeah, I do this. I do this. These things all bring me joy and they all sustain my existence. Yeah. Mark, that's what this life is about, bro. It's about it's about cultivating an experience where the things that we do day to day bring us a sense of fulfillment and bring us a sense of rewarding experience Absolutely. in life, Absolutely. you know, and that's so cool. 
So you should be proud of yourself, but that's awesome. You give me the goosebumps. Thank you, sir. <laughs> hey, what are your favorite podcasts? Uh, the Bonfire on Sirius XXM on, on podcast apps is my go-to to laugh because I, I really – life is so serious, and I'm, I'm a pretty serious guy. So when I listen to podcasts, I really just kind of want to get away and laugh. So I listen to The Bonfire. I listen to my, my buddy uh, t- Sam Tripoli's Tinfoil Hat on a time. time. Obviously, Ari's Skeptic Tank. Um, Legion of Skanks from time to time, pretty often if they have the right guests. Uh, I'm actually going through my podcast app right now to see if there's anything that I have to give credit to. Oh, the Burt Cast and the Bill Burt Podcast. Okay. Yeah. So I thought you'd mention two of my favorites and you didn't. But Which are? Um, I listened to Uncle Joey's Joint with Joey oh, Diaz. I, I'm actually looking at that. Yes, I do. I love Uncle Joey. And I That's actually my have, favorite I've podcast. actually smoked weed with Joey and Ari. I've smoked weed with Joey Diaz. That's what's up. His yeah. podcast is just incredible because he just well, gives listen- like life advice and – well, I listened to when he did the, the – I was a big fan of the one he did with Lee. Oh, that was great too, of course. Yeah, and I then when he moved too. to New York, I mean I like that he's back in podcasting. But I, I – you know what's funny is when he started podcasting with Lee, I was irritated because I like Lee got on my nerves. But by the time the show ended, I was like, man, I really – I really <laughs> – yeah, I missed like, the dynamic. experience for everybody. Yeah, like I was like – I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then by this time, I'm like, damn, man, Lee's gone. I'm like, that's really cold. Like, but maybe yeah, it no, was I, the high pitch, that high pitch laugh that was on repeat on like, yeah, they just no, kept wait, replaying I, I, that high pitch laugh. I love how high he got. And, and it, like, it was, it, yeah. He's I mean, real was, humble. He's fuck, He's funny. He's so yeah. funny. No, Joe, like, and Joey, on my podcast, like, you don't have to subscribe, but come on, like, listen to it once in a while. Oh, no, I'm actually <laughs> looking at it right now. And he, I think he had Segura on a couple weeks ago. And that's the thing is, once he starts to have more guests on, he was actually on Legion of Skanks a while ago. Like, I got actually pictures from Joey Diaz's first appearance at Cobb's Comedy. I was actually my Twitter header for the, the longest time. Yeah, so no, I, I love Joey. I love Joey. I, and I, the I, Duncan I, Trussell show. Okay. Okay, I'm going to make the show. I can't stop with that one. I went to the Duncan Trussell Family Hour live recording at the Independent in San Francisco on Divisadero Street. And that was the closest thing I've ever been to a cult meeting. That was the it was. So he had Dr. Christopher Ryan, the sex at dawn doctor, as his guest. And that, the, the, the part with them was okay. But when the, the audience members started talking about to Duncan, it was. It was creepy because these people like worship Duncan in an odd way. And it was the closest I'd ever been to a cult meeting. He has a lot of like people that are very deep into spirituality, philosophy. Yeah. Um, They get into some weirdness, but I mean, that's to be celebrated, I think. Oh, yeah. Listen, I mean, when I watch him talk for four hours with Joe Rogan in his swamp gear, Oh, no, Duncan's brilliant. I was, like, crying, laughing one minute, and the next minute he's blowing my mind with, like, truths. Well, you know what happened, right? Like, so Duncan's mom died. But before Duncan's mom died, he was a lot more public. I think, and I don't think he's really talked about it, but I think Duncan's mom left him some money, so he kind of changed gears a little bit. That's why he moved to New York and kind of, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, some things happened in Duncan's life, and I think it affected him a certain way. Um, but... You know, I, I, I was a huge fan of all the – I started listening to the Joe Rogan experience at, like, episode 65. I don't really listen anymore, but I was – that's what got me into Ari and Sam How come? and Joey. 
Well, one, he went to Spotify, and I'm not on Spotify. And two, I, I, you know, I'll see some clips from here on out that YouTube. But Joe is actually what inspired me to get into jujitsu when he was a brown belt. Ah. Uh, and when Joe got his black belt, he stopped talking about jujitsu. And he stopped talking about a lot of things that I got, I got into Joe because he was talking about. And now he's talking about other stuff. And great, putting himself behind a paywall. Uh, and apparently, if you, if you ask people who experience this thing on Spotify, it stops and plays ads mid-podcast, even if you're a paid member. I just think that's tacky. So it's your, you're, you're making people who pay for your service listening to ads on something? Like, I don't like that. I just, and, and the content might be great, but I don't – I'm running a company. <laughs> it's like I've got a lot going on. So if I'm going to listen to something, I'm not going to have something that's, like, hard for me to access. And I love Joe. I smoked weed with Joe Rogan. So well, his did, guest list is just phenomenal. He, oh, look at – I mean, he is the – Biggest podcast on earth. No questions asked. Joe Rogan has the big, I mean, he has more reach than the news, any cable channel, any, any Twitter channel. Joe Rogan might be the most influential person on earth because he doesn't, because he doesn't care about being influential. He's just focused on doing what he loves doing. That's that. It goes, all goes back to following your bliss. If he cared about influencing people and being what he is, it wouldn't read because people would read that he's being this phony who just wants to run for president. Exactly. Joe, Joe moved to Texas. He, you know, moved to Austin. He's like, I don't want any of this attention. I'm getting hundred million dollars a year from Spotify. That's just one of my revenue streams. I'm, you know, I've created multiple generational wealth from a podcast that started with him talking in his house with Red Band, which is when I started, like, I remember when he gave his couch from the podcast to Ari. And then when Ari moved to New York, he gave that podcast. He sold the couch for like 500 bucks and took Joe to dinner. So it's like, I remember being a part of, cause I was friends with Ari at the time. Cause I was doing, punch drunk sports so it's like i have all these cool pictures of like when punch drunk was starting and ari and sam and are in the same room it's just it's fun to have lived through these times and he's had these experiences and smoked weed with joe rogan he's so hard working oh joe is the hardest worker you ever meet but that's but that's the other thing that it all goes back to if you work hard it all pays out like you just you went when you started telling me all the things that you do like (laughs) seo optimization copywriting I do marketing advertising. I do it. I was like, wow, dude, that's, but that's what it takes because all of those things combine to make you, you, and all of those things are you expressing yourself to your highest capability. You yeah. I've saying? had a long journey. I've had so many crazy jobs and been in so many different unique experiences. And then bada bing, bada boom, I, I focus on cannabis and everything's kind of coming together. But that's because you're following your bliss. And I, that's so cool. 100 <laughs> percent yeah. joseph campbell <laughs> gotta love it well yeah i mean we could talk for forever I, I could literally talk for forever mark you're a great podcast host thank you once again for having me on if you have any i'd love to be on again sometime whenever you want i'm happy to come back on it's a great conversation i feel like great. there's so much more for us to talk about but i also don't want to make the listeners have a joe rogan long episode <laughs> oh we're nowhere near three hours but <laughs> okay. yeah we're over an hour okay. we're like an hour and a half and, okay, good, uh, yeah, okay good i want to encourage everybody to reach out to james yeah on linkedin please message me on linkedin i'm happy to engage with people i love i love communicating and you'll 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 see plenty of controversial posts and <laughs> that's but true. you'll also follow in in my opinion someone who's going to be highly influential in terms of pointing the way to quality product in california maybe maybe beyond someday yes sir thank you sir all right james Thank you, Mark. Be very well today. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Let's talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for tuning in to my cannabis podcast. If you enjoyed it, share with a friend, family member, or colleague so everyone can get informed on all things cannabis this 2021. also selling high quality hemp cigarettes made in San Diego. So if you're looking for an alternative to traditional cigarettes, look no further. They're made in San Diego. There's no nicotine, tobacco, or added chemicals, and everything, even the box, filter, and paper are made from hemp. 